Hi, I'm David Massover. Welcome to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast, where I'll be interviewing senior sales leaders, sales experts, and sales service providers about what else, what it takes to drive B2B sales revenue. So thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is David Massover. I'm going to be your host today. And today we have a great guest. We're going to be talking with Andy DeAngelis, the COO at Vodacall. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Andy, can you give us a little bit of background? How did you come to be the COO at Vodacall? And tell us a little bit about your background in sales. So I got into sales in the late 90s, I had worked at entry-level finance jobs prior to that, like every other kid who got out of school at that time, just hated it. And I wanted to get into a field where my effort led to certain outcomes, right? I was in control of my own destiny. That's sales, right? In a nutshell. The harder you work, the more you get out of it. So took an entry-level job at Lucent Technologies, worked my way up. I guess I was pretty good at selling phone systems, which was Lucent's core, right? And eventually, we started Vodacall just because Lucent wasn't handling, in my eyes, the SMB appropriately. I saw that as a huge market. That's Vodacall's focus. So I made the switch with a couple people from Lucent over onto Vodacall, built out a sales team. I was VP of sales, so I took on the COO role later to kind of get the company all working together and focused on all sides sales, technical support, operational. So that's my current role. But I started in sales, building a sales team, outside sales team, then an inside call center. And uh, now I'm focused back a little bit on SDRs and building out an SDR team. So that is my uh, experience in a nutshell in the sales world and how I got from point A I guess the point, what point am I at now? Z? (laughs) Q maybe. Z, that would be the end. So we'll say M. There you go. You're right in the middle. It's time to start coasting down the hill. I like it. You and I spoke offline a short time ago, and you told me a little bit about your transition from VP of sales to chief operating officer. I really liked the story that you told about that, your proactive approach to what was happening within the company. Can you share a little bit of that with us? I'm a big believer in the customer experience. And I feel like if the customer experience is your differentiator, you are going to build a strong, strong company, a strong sales team, a strong foundation, which that is the foundation of every company, the, the sales team. But the problem is, at every company I've been at and every company that has a sales organization, which is every company, there's always infighting between the sales team, the operational team, the technical team, the fulfillment team, every team right? The salespeople are the ones sitting on the piles of money, creating the problems, and everyone else is fixing the problems they create. For our company to elevate, really elevate our game, grow and get to the next level, especially on the cloud side, selling cloud services, we need to up our customer experience game. And the only way you can do that is you got to take all these departments that are like islands functioning on their own. Really, realistically, it's everybody against sales. You need to build bridges, right? You need to get away from the island mentality, the the individual team mentality, and unify that. One unified team delivering one unified experience to the customers. So 
when I took over, it was all about one message, one set of marching orders, one mission, the customer experience. How we get there, we don't care, but we are all one team functioning as one organization. And I bridge gaps by creating cross-functional teams within the organization. So people from every department working together to become better. And that was a game changer. I'm not going to say alleviated 100% of the problems, but it's the best scenario I've been at in relationship between these typically competing departments. It's the best I've seen these departments function at any organization I've ever been at. So when we spoke, you told me about a sentence that you used to kind of, I think you were saying you used it to really unify that message. And this was the idea of sell what happens after the contract is signed. How does that philosophy weave into the customer experience as it happens within the organization? So for me, we sell cloud phone systems and every company that sells a cloud phone system, we all do the same thing. We all have the same features. We all have the same functionality. It may work and function a little bit differently, but at the end result, it's the same. What is the real differentiator across any of our competitors is it's the human element. It's the experience only the human can deliver to the end user, to the customer. So for us to build up our customer experience chop, so to speak, we now allowed ourselves to use that as the major selling tool. So we have the sales rep sell what happens after somebody signs first. We talk customer experience first, features second. That says it on some of our marketing material. When we do that, you're telling customers or prospects rather, things they haven't heard from anyone else. What happens after you sign? How does onboarding work? How do we handle onboarding? How does support work? They talk to people in our support team and on our project management team. In essence, in doing that, because nobody else is talking that, everyone else is feature dumping and talking price. If we're in a competitive situation, these are little landmines we're setting up, right? For our competition to just step on when the customer goes back to them and says, well, what do you do for onboarding? And now they're comparing us to them. And it's not our price against their price or our feature set against their feature set. It's our mentality after someone signs against their mentality after someone signs. And you can't, you can't beat us when it comes to that because it's the human element of customer experience, right? I mean, you just can't beat it. So in essence, it's kind of a blue ocean strategy. Instead of competing on the same things that everybody else is competing on, you're saying, listen, let's just redefine the criteria in the mind of the customer about the things yep. that they're really worried about, which isn't the salesperson's worried about, I want to close the deal. The customer's worried about, well, what's going to happen after I do? And that's where mm -hmm. you guys are choosing to focus. That's right. And look, I'm not naive. Price is always going to be up, if not the top consideration. And as long as we're in the ballpark, we have to get ourselves in the right ballpark price-wise, right? From there, it's our job to win it on experience. If experience is important to a customer, we will win. If it's not, and it's truly price game, we won't win. And that's okay, right? Because that, we're not a good match. And I'm okay with that. This started in 2014. And since we implemented that, you could see the growth, right? Just from selling customer experience over features and price alone, we win deals against monster competitors. We're not a big company. And we win deals against monster competitors because of that selling the experience because no one else talks about it.
you're anticipating my next question. My next question was, how do you tell if that's working? What do you measure? Obviously, we're winning deals against bigger companies is kind of the end mm-hmm. of the cycle uh, metric. But how do you know as you're working through the cycle that this approach is effective? That's a very good point because a data point that is undefined, it's very gray. You're talking customer experience. So you're A, you're, you're hoping that it's being presented appropriately and B, it's being received. But I would say the way that I started seeing it move the needles when I actually hear from the reps and I look beyond the data, metrics are great. I love numbers, but at the same time, customer experience is what's happening in between those numbers a lot. So when I start hearing from the reps that I pitched our cloud hops process, which is the project management process after someone signs, A to Z. And what I heard back from the partner or from the customer was, you really do all that. This happened at our previous experience with a cloud provider. You really do that as if we're not telling the truth. And when the rep takes the time to let you know that they got feedback like that, you're good with that. That rep is going to pitch this right. They see the value. They're not skeptical about what we're trying to do now. They understand it's not a tactic. This is a reality and it's a real, real value. So I would say that the word of mouth that you're hearing internally and then after the fact, it's the response you're getting from the customer. You're only as strong as the customers you can lean on to kind of help promote the word of, in our case, Vodacall. So when we get great customer feedback, we call it customer love, quotes, emails, phone calls, texts, when they agree to be up on our website with a picture of them of themselves like back in the day no one would have agreed to that because of the way we approached selling which was just like everyone else mass it's numbers sell 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 right everything's a number move the needle and since we changed our customer base is strong attrition is ridiculously low i mean we have 98 percent of our base is re-signing We have a couple percent that maybe we're not the right fit. Maybe they go out of business. We can look at those numbers at a whole nother podcast. But my point is, if you do right by the customer, you're stronger in the long run. You can't look at sales as such a short-term gain. It's the long-term play. Something you said was really interesting. You talked about looking at the quality of conversations and the content of conversations. So much in sales management these days seems to be geared towards counting how many units of activity, how many conversations, how many even minutes of talk time is being counted. What are the mechanics of getting that kind of interaction with your rep? Is is it a very coaching intensive environment that you have? How are you capturing these things from your reps on a regular basis? Now, it's totally different. If I'm answering that question in present day, we're back to basics. It's literally about effort, and then what that effort yields. So for me, at the moment, it's the amount of calls you're making and the quality conversations you're having from those calls. So I'm saying two to three minutes per call. So that's a quality conversation. If you can get someone on the phone, have a two to three minute conversation, it's a quality conversation. That can turn into a demo, that turns into a quote, that turns into a customer. Right now, it's a very highly intensive coaching environment just because We have to be nimble. We have to be flexible in this new environment that's all around all of us. And if you're not willing to take chances, make changes, try new things, 
everything from trials to new pricing programs to new approaches to engaging the customer who may think, I can't buy anything, I can't make a decision right now, I can't make a long-term play. You have to work around those anxieties, right? So right now, we're coaching and trying all sorts of new things. And when something works, we're sharing it, whether it's via Slack or Teams or sending an email to all or a great recorded call goes out to the whole team so we can all learn and grow and build from that. It's a funny question when you ask how you're judging it, because all I'm thinking about right now is the present situation we're in. We're all dealing with it, right? And we're all making adjustments. And that my day-to-day has adjusted tremendously because of this pandemic we are in. So I talk to a lot of people about what they're doing in their sales organizations and the response to COVID. Right now, we're, we're recording this mid-May 2020, so everyone's really up to their eyeballs in it. And, and the response has been varied. Some people are aggressively hiring because they want to get market share. Some people are firing because they're feeling like they need to cut costs. It sounds like what you are doing is really just trying to take a, a management approach and saying, okay, we're in a different situation. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? Shifting gears a little bit, how do you go about getting the kind of people in your organization that are capable of rolling with those kinds of changes? That is tricky. Not everyone can pivot. Not every salesperson can pivot. I mean, if you have a rhythm, it's all about creating rhythm and momentum. Pivoting isn't typically part of that process, right? So what we really need is we need a team that believes in the leadership. They need to understand that the leadership, myself, CEO, their directors, their sales directors, they have to believe in them. We have to be very upfront, very transparent with our people at all times. Look, I always say our people are our strength and I'm going to always be honest and be transparent, you know, where we stand organizationally, where you stand within the organization. And I think I've done a pretty good job of, of just that. I think because of that, you get an extra bit of goodwill that, okay, what he's telling us now is we have to pivot. We're going to try new things. He doesn't have all the answers, which I'm very upfront about. But we, myself, the directors, them, we are going to figure out a solution here. Every problem has a solution. And this is actually exciting for me because I love to solve problems. I love to find a hole and fill it and make, make us stronger because of it. And this is a moment where you can get really creative, really test the waters. It's hard to do that in everyday circumstance when you're, you know, your revenue is going at a nice clip up and everyone's performing well and satisfied and things are humming to throw in a new offer or a new pricing style or a new product to get um, this out to the masses. In that moment, it's very, very hard to get people to buy into because everything's working. You're humming like a machine. Now, the world is not humming like a machine. So it's a great opportunity to say, okay, let's get creative. All the ideas out on the table. I want to hear what you have to say. Try something new. Tell me what works. And um, that builds a tighter, more cohesive unit and organization when you have an opportunity to do that. I try and look at the bright side here, but I do think that's not me framing the situation. I think there's a real value to, to working as a team and collaborating right now. I'm reminded of that line from the Game of Thrones, you know, chaos is a ladder. It sounds, mm-hmm. it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, but it's broken a little bit and it's an opportunity. I'm not an ape broke, don't fix it kind of guy. It's hard to get rally the troops, though, 
when things seem like they're working very well and told you need a hundred percent buy-in to make a change. Right. So now everyone's looking of what we need to do something here. We need to make a change. So now's the time to get outside the, the box. I hate that phrase, but to get super creative, work together, collaborate, really get in, find out who your employees are, what they're thinking about, because you're empowering them right now and engaging them at a whole new level that they are now stakeholders in winning and defeating this failure, which is you know, what we're all dealing with, COVID-19. And there's no, nothing more powerful than having a sales team feel like, okay, we have, we have skin in the game to come out of this on top. You know, I'm very, very frank with everyone that I want to keep this team intact. I also told them I, there's no guarantees I can, but right now it looks like we're, we're on a good pace to do just that. And what I need is X, Y, and Z. It's like effort and attitude and creativity. If you give me that, we're going to come out on top. When we spoke earlier, you shared with me something unique and special that you do when you're interviewing for salespeople. I'd love mm-hmm. it if you could share that here. So for years, when we interviewed, we, like everyone else, looked at the resume, somebody, an athlete, what college do they go to, what objective experience, et cetera, et cetera, come on in for an interview and try and even if it's not a great fit, forcing someone in based on a piece of paper, what's on that paper. And it dawned on me, I mean, it's such a silly rhythm and mindset that we've all gotten used to. So he said, I'm not going to bother with the resume. I need to know the person. I'm hiring the person, not the piece of paper. So I came up with an interview strategy where someone comes in, and this is probably the third interview down the line. So I don't care about the resume. People say they're, they're good. I trust them. The person comes in for an interview. Someone goes into the conference room where they're seated hands him a piece of paper and a a pencil and says, write down five topics or questions you want to talk to Andy about that are unrelated to the role, industry, or the company. And they leave. And you get to see, okay, can this person think? Can this person pivot, be creative? I want to get to know them. I don't want the canned answers. I don't want the over-prepped person. I want the real deal person in front of me. I want to get to know that person. I come back in and I see these questions, right, that they, they ask. And it, it may be, you know, my interests, their interests, favorite movie, something that someone doesn't know about me, a talent, whatever. And we just start talking. And then my strategy is from there. I ask, oh, we start talking about a couple of those topics and questions. And then I inter- interject the standard interview questions. And then I come back to their questions. And I'm going back and forth to see if they can pivot, if they can turn on a dime. And at the end of it, it's a workout. I can tell they they feel it's been a workout. <laughs> but if I'm making a connection, right, and we're actually having an unforced conversation now where I'm not even looking at the questions and topics they wrote down, and we're not even talking necessarily about the role and job. We're just now talking. Now I know, okay, I have someone in front of me that I want to have be part of our culture, of our environment. They'll enhance our environment. And uh, it's some wonders for us. So I do it with the technical side too, where that was a big one. I don't care about certifications anymore. It means nothing. I care about the person. Can the technical person communicate? Because guess what? I'm not technical. I'm a technical idiot. But most of the people they're going to interact with are just like me. So you need to be able to talk to me, not to people like me. So since we went to that model, our support and customer experience is elevated because of it. 
sounds like there's been a lot of lessons along the way, a lot of trial and error. And what it comes down to is is some fundamental but very creative approaches to sales leadership. If there are people listening who are thinking about making a move into sales leadership, what's your one piece of advice for someone who's thinking about making that transition? Because it's a significant transition and a lot of people don't really prepare for it. What would be your, your big advice for someone thinking about that? This is terrific because people don't prepare for it oftentimes. You hop right in and you function in kind of a realm that you know, that you're comfortable with, like the manager you saw before their demeanor, how they handled the team. I came from, like I said, the late 90s, very aggressive, Alec Baldwin, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross sort of sales mentality. That's all I knew. And I remember shifting my brain, like, this doesn't make sense. You know, it feels gross. And I never wanted our organization to be kind of cut from that cloth which is honestly why we're selling the customer experience over just sell, sell, sell. But to your back, your question, I would say the big piece of advice is get a mentor. I mean, you need a mentor, someone to, I never had one in the sales world. Like I had my dad, super hard worker, super intelligent. But as far as salespeople, I never had that. And I probably would have gotten to where I am now quicker if I did have a mentor, but there was a time where mentoring was more of a check the box category at the big company and they'd line you up with a senior person. It was just kind of what people did. It was almost like you felt like a high school kid trying to get into college and putting that on your college application. It wasn't real mentorship. I had that mentor. He's a good salesperson, not a good mentor. He didn't coach me through anything. So I would say grab a mentor. I would link into huge, huge value for anyone. New, old, there are so many resources out there and people are so open to giving feedback that I would be all over LinkedIn with senior people, with leaders in sales and engaging with them and asking their opinions and striking up a conversation. It's an, LinkedIn is an amazing community and platform for just that. Obviously, there's personal branding and self-promotion involved, but you can get a ton out of that social media site. It's amazing. So that would be my what I would tell a new young leader, what they should be doing. It's great advice. And LinkedIn is actually where you and I connected. I believe right. you, just, you were just added to the, what is it, the LinkedIn sales stars list. Is that right? Yes. Yes, that's right. And that, uh, that's, that's all right. about the content that you're creating there. If people want to learn more about you and learn more about Vodacall and tap into some of the experience that you have in sales, what is the best place for people to find Andy D'Angelis? So I am on LinkedIn. I'm not a huge social media guy, but I am a huge LinkedIn guy because I just, there's a ton of value. It's real meat on there. And so I'm on LinkedIn a ton, personally talking about business sales. I try and be authentic and real. That's, you know, those words have been overused on LinkedIn, quite frankly, but I really do. I try and leave it all out in the field, so to speak, in my posts. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not so great, (laughs) but it is what it is. For Vodacall, our website is obviously a great place to find out information about us. And I'm especially proud of our customer love section, which is very easy to find in the top navigation. It's uh, right up there, uh, right in your face. Our goal is to deliver such a a tremendous experience, one that's unrivaled in any other communications experience. Because look, quite frankly, everybody hates the phone guy. Everybody hates the phone system. 
technical people hate the phone system. I get it, right? My goal is to change that and, and have someone say, wow, that was a different experience. And when we do, we want to turn those customers into our best marketers by putting them on our website, getting, having them uh, give them a voice for our website and plaster them all over the place because that is what makes this real, what makes the customer experience work, the customers, right? So our prospects need to hear from them. Ladies and gentlemen, Andy DeAngelis and Vodacall generating customer love. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's been a lot of really great insights. We very much appreciate it. Thank you for being on the podcast, Andy. David, thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast with your host, me, David Massover. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you and your sales organization accelerate growth, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, reach out to me at davidmassover.com or find me on LinkedIn. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know about new episodes. And thanks for listening. Now, let's go drive some B2B sales revenue.